Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our lead pastor, Pastor Greg Brown, with this week's sermon. Well, if you guys don't know me, my name is Greg Brown, and I'm the lead pastor here at Mosaic Church. And I say here at as if this were our church. It's not, but we are the church, right? So uh, so I get to say that I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church. A um, little bit about me. Uh, I've lived in Mechanicsville for uh, about 11 years this, uh, this past month, and uh, so we call this place our home. Uh, this is uh, where my wife grew up, and uh, we ended up moving here just about a decade ago. Uh, my wife is Ashley. You saw her singing up here next to me this morning. She's usually buzzing around somewhere. She's back there in the back taking pictures right now. Hi, Ashley. Anyway, she's, a, she's an incredible partner in ministry. Uh, all the, the look and feel stuff that, have, that has gone on today has been orchestrated by her. So if, uh, if you appreciate the signage or the uh, tents and things like that, like give her, you know, just tell her thanks. Um, we couldn't do it without her. It, it would look very different if it was left up to me. Guys, you know what I mean, right? Like you need your wife, right? Like she makes you look good. That's, that's how I feel today. Anyway. I'm so excited to have all of you here today. I, I see a lot of faces that I don't know, and I look forward to hopefully meeting you afterward. Uh, but it's a, it's a great thing for us to meet together as the people of God to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing. Um, Mosaic was, uh, was planted during the pandemic, uh, just, or actually just before the pandemic, in January 2020. And so like we've been just gradually moving through sort of these beginning stages of church planting in a very different way than most people have. And uh, so this year is really, you know, uh, well, last year we had a, an Easter service and, uh, and it was great. We had a, a, a bit of a smaller turnout and it was awesome. We had it here. But like to have this many people just coming to worship with us is an incredible blessing. And I don't count that as something that's small. Thank you for taking your time to come and, and worship with us. Um, it is a, it's a big deal to me. Um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm really happy to see you guys here this morning. Uh, if, if you couldn't tell already uh, something about me, uh, I'm a musician. Uh, I love to play guitar. Um, I, I don't sing much, uh, but I love playing guitar. That's, that's how uh, I, I sort of express myself from an artistic perspective. And one of my favorite bands is, is Thrice. Any Thrice fans? Come on. Yeah, one guy. All right. Andrew, my man. All right. Uh, yeah, I was listening to their first album. I think it was their first like commercial album, which was uh, Identity Crisis the other day. And I was thinking about, as, as I was listening to this album, I was thinking about what I might preach for an Easter service. And I got to thinking about our culture today and our, our world today. And it got me thinking that, you know, it, it seems like everybody in this world wants to talk about identity. That's a big deal right now, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like everybody wants to talk about identity. And that question, how do I identify, is clearly changing the world as we know it. You agree with that? It seems like that's the case. To me, I'll be honest, it's a little bit like whose line is it anyway? It's like, welcome to life where everything's made up and the categories don't matter. It, 
maybe that's a little uncharitable, okay? Like, but I, I don't actually think so. I, I think that's the actual worldview that we see applied in popular postmodern philosophy today. There is no personal creator, only impersonal matter. There is no God but the gods we create for ourselves. There is no meaning to life except that which we ascribe to it personally and individually. That's modern philosophy for you. But this lack of intrinsic objective meaning has led this world into a full-on identity crisis, and the church isn't exempt. But this sermon isn't going where you think it's going. It wouldn't be much of an Easter sermon if I went where you think it's going. You might be thinking, oh, well, like, he's going to talk about gender. He's going to talk about race. He's going to talk about all these different things. No, I, I want to get at something that is far more essential than those things. Look, those things are important, but there are some things that are absolutely essential. Those two words are very important for us today. We need to understand the difference. There are some things that are important, but this is essential. Today, I want to walk you, th walk you through uh, a clear, fundamental understanding of what it means to be a Christian. We need to know who we are as the church. We need to know what we believe. In fact, that is my greatest passion in ministry. I want Christians to know what they believe and in whom they believe. More than that, more than just a clear understanding, I, I, I'm hoping that if you are a Christian here today, that God is going to do two things through the sermon, that he is going to either correct you if you have been in error, or that he's going to increase your faith such that it works its way out in how you live. That's my deepest prayer for you if you're a Christian here today. If you are in Christ, I want you to leave with a renewed sense of joy, a new, a new sense, a sense of joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and not only joy, but of steadfastness and resolve to do whatever it is God has for you to do. But if you're not a Christian here today, you might feel a little left out at the moment. I don't want you to feel left out. I think that I, I just want to say a couple of things directly to you if you're not a Christian here today. One, I am glad that you're here. What an incredible thing to show up at a church service, but you don't necessarily believe what we believe. Praise God for that. Like, I, I'm thankful to God for that. You might not know him yet, but I am thankful to God for that. I believe wholeheartedly that God has placed you in your seat this morning. But if you're not a Christian here today, you're also in a unique position. You get to hear about Christianity from the inside. I want to spark thoughts and discussions and dialogue and hopefully give you a clear picture of who we are and where we stand, what we stand for. And even more, I want you to know who Jesus Christ is and what he did on the cross and even after that, which is what we celebrate today. If you accept the, the free offer of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, if you're not in Christ today and you do accept that free offer of grace in Jesus Christ by trusting in him, then I want you to do it with absolute clarity. And if you are a Christian here today, I want you to leave here with a greater sense of clarity about what Christ has done and what we are about. So today we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, if you want to start tapping, flipping, whatever you do to get there, uh, it's also linked in the digital bulletin that we have, mosaicrva.com slash today. You can click on the link in there uh, if you want to. Sort of put this out there. If you are new to uh, the whole church thing, there is no shame in putting your uh, books of the Bible in your app in alphabetical order and searching for it that way. 
There is no shame in using tables of contents in a physical Bible if you have that. Just, there's, there's no shame here, all right? So just look that up. It's 1 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians is how it's usually listed, chapter 15. So as usual in this church, we, uh, we like to stand to honor the reading of God's word. So I'm going to ask you to, to stand with me as we read uh, just a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if the wind will let me get there. Just the first four, five verses, actually, uh, that we will be reading this morning. And it says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray one more time. Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Help us to see more clearly the person and work of Jesus Christ. Help us to see that a resurrectionless Christianity is no Christianity. Help us to see that a gospel-less Christianity is no Christianity. And that, Lord God, you would just invade our hearts and minds as we consider all that you have done. Lord, we thank you for the death of Christ. We also thank you, Lord, for the resurrection of Christ. For without it, we are nothing. We thank you, Lord, for this. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. I wish it wasn't quite so windy today. I'm sitting here with a physical Bible going. Y'all struggle with me, all right? Just, it's gonna be okay. Like I said, uh, the, the church, I think, as we see it today, is experiencing an identity crisis. And to resolve it, we need to clearly define what it means to be Christian. And I think this passage that we just read does that pretty clearly. Look again at verses one and two. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. As Paul begins to close this letter to the, the church in Corinth, he goes back to the basics, if you will. He goes back to the fundamentals. And he goes there because the eternal salvation of his readers was and is still on the line. We could spend a while in these verses just unpacking everything here, but I want to focus on that. I want to, oh, yeah, look at that. I have a rock. Praise God for rocks. All right. The stone was rolled away and onto my Bible. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, as I was saying, <laughs> if I wouldn't get so flustered, as I was saying, uh, Paul gets at his message here by starting with the gospel. He says, by which you are being saved. And I want to just focus on that because that one word saved contains in it everything that your soul has ever desired and more. Saved means far more than just fire insurance. That's an escape from hell. You know what I'm talking about? That like, I said a prayer and so I'm good sort of Christianity. 
There's far more to being saved than fire insurance. In fact, it means blessings beyond your imagination because of the resurrection of Jesus. He's secured all of those blessings because of his resurrection. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I, I want you to see here that in these two verses, Paul presents a clear dichotomy, and we need to start there. He says, essentially, if you believe the gospel, you are saved. If you do not, you are not. He draws two circles and says, you are either in this circle or you're in this other circle. You're either here or you are there. Choose. This is yours. No other part of your identity has more riding on it than in Christ or not in Christ. You want to ask questions about identity. You want to think about who you might be. Ask yourself that question most essentially, am I in Christ or am I not in Christ? There is one thing, one thing that is absolutely required for the church to be the church, for Christians to be Christian and for people to be saved, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. It would be nice if the sermon just kind of stopped there though, right? Like it's a little cold out here. We all want to go home. We could just, the gospel, mic dropping. I'm not going to do that, though, because there's a lot of confusion about what the gospel is. As a pastor, I interview people for baptism and for membership. It's one of my uh, actually greatest pleasures of, of pastoring. I think it's amazing to meet new people and to hear what God has done in their lives. And I get to go, hey, like, how did you come to know Christ, and how has he changed you, and, and how has your relationship with him changed over time, and how has all that worked for you? Have you been baptized? Are you a part of a church, or were you a part of a church, or why are you coming to this church? I get to ask those questions, but one of the, the most essential questions that I ever ask anyone is, what is the gospel? I just ask people, what is the gospel? Now, if you're thinking in your minds today, if you're a Christian here today and you're thinking in your mind, that's a little scary, then I hope this sermon is for you. I don't want that to be scary. I, in fact, I've heard so many people come into membership interviews, baptism interviews, and go, I don't know. I'll say, what is the gospel? They say, the Bible? They're, they're, that's a real answer. People think that the Bible is the gospel. Now, the Bible contains the gospel but it is not the gospel itself. And so we need to start here. We need to make sure that we understand the explicit gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul does precisely that. Look again in verse three. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Again, talking about the gospel. He's like, if there is anything else, there's nothing else, I mean. There is nothing else. There is the gospel. I must preach the gospel. It is of first importance. That word there uh, in the Greek is protos, means prominent, foremost, best, superior to all, most important. The gospel is above all else. The most important thing that Paul could preach and is the most important thing that we can hold to as Christians and that we can preach as churches. Paul knew that if he preached nothing else, he needed to preach the gospel. He was happy to speak about all sorts of lofty theological truths, and he was happy to talk about all sorts of wonderfully practical things. But he was like, if you don't get anything else, I need you to get the gospel. 
If your definition of Christianity today depends on anything other than the gospel, you might need an adjustment. In fact, if your definition of Christianity or what it means to be saved has more emphasis on what political parties you support or what cable news network you view or what you believe about climate change, then you need a massive adjustment. You need a massive adjustment today. The gospel is the primary, the thing of first importance. Think about what would happen if the church were known for the gospel instead of its political leanings. Think about that. What if the church were actually known for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe we need to take a page out of Paul's book. He preached the gospel as of first importance. It was foundational. The gospel should be the primary thing that we preach as a church, and it, is, it must be the primary motivation for everything that we do in life. Do you love your spouse? Love your spouse in light of the gospel. Do you love your children? Love them in light of the gospel. Everything is influenced by the gospel. If you don't have the, the good news, then none of your obedience, pious living, or worship will get you an inch closer to heaven. So if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear the gospel. And I know we haven't gotten to defining it just yet. But in fact, this is the very gospel that we preach every week in this church. We believe as a church that you need to hear the gospel for the first time when you come to Christ, and you need to hear it every week to be reminded. We believe that the unbeliever comes to Christ through the preaching of the gospel and that the people of God are sustained in faith through the gospel. James, the, the brother of Jesus, would say in James 2.18, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Wonderful passage. Very applicational. But where there is no faith, no belief in the gospel, works mean nothing and account for nothing. We must start with the gospel. Good works are the fruit, not the root. Holy living is the outworking of faith in Christ, not the other way around, all right? So what is the gospel then? You're probably sitting there on the edge of your seat. This guy keeps on using this word, and everybody has a different definition, right? Everybody wants to talk about what the gospel is, and churches want to talk about the gospel, but they want to have different definitions. Well, I, I don't want to have my own definition. I want to have the definition that God lays out in his word. And so we want to look at that today. Look in verses 3 through 5, really the second half of verse 3 through the fifth verse. My rock failed me. All right, there we go. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. And he in fact, Paul goes on to list more and more people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. The gospel is the good news about the perfect life, substitutionary death, and glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is good, good news. But it's only good news for one kind of people. Look again at verse 3. 
It says in the second half that Christ died for what? Our sins. The gospel is only good news for sinners. The gospel is only good news for sinners. In a world where people take the liberty to draw their own categories for what's good and what's not, God declares that he and he alone is the sole arbiter of morality. He determines what is good and what is evil. That's what we believe as Christians. And so if God says it's good, it's good. And if he says it's evil, it's evil. It's not your truth or my truth that matters. I don't even know if those exist. God's truth is what matters because it is the truth truth. In Exodus 20, we find a summary of, the mor- of morality uh, according to God. Suffice it to say that if you have ever neglected to worship God as you ought, if you have ever taken his name in vain, if you have ever stolen, coveted, or lied, or lusted, or disrespected your parents, you are a sinner. We have to start there. We have to start there. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, it's a sort of ancient document that summarizes the core teachings of the Bible in this question-answer format. It's just a summary. It's not inspired like the Bible is. It's just it's a man-made document trying to help us to, to learn what the Bible says. It says that sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. What is sin? It is doing what you should not do or neglecting to do what you should do. One of the two. So if you felt a little uncomfortable when I said, we're all sinners, you shouldn't feel too singled out. We are literally all sinners, every single one of us. If you're a member of this church, I'm just gonna make a poll, all right? If you're a member of this church, raise your hand if you're a sinner. Yeah, look at all those people, right? Look at all those sinners, right? We have transgressed the law of God. We are not perfect. We cannot live up to what God has commanded. We know that we are sinners. I know that doesn't feel good, and it's not supposed to. The idea of being a sinner, being in sin, should make you feel uncomfortable. To be a sinner is an uncomfortable thing. It means you can't get into heaven by your own efforts. You simply can't be good enough to get back into the favor of God on your own. It is impossible. And it would be good and right for God to punish us for our sins. Like prisoners on death row, unless God intervenes, we are all just waiting on that final judgment to come. But that's where the death of Christ comes in. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we could not live. And rather than allow us to suffer God's wrath, He died a sinner's death on the cross as our substitute. Why? Because of love. If you trust in Christ, then God's wrath was poured out on him for you. Remember this. Remember Good Friday. He hung 
nails through his hands and feet, broken, bleeding, ripped to shreds. And not for his sins, but for the sins of all those who believe in him. He died so that we might live. That's good news in and of itself. And the sacrifice wasn't in response to any good in us. It wasn't any value that God saw in us. He didn't go, oh, well, I see that this person's kind of something that I want. I see that he's, he or she is, is good enough over here. I'll take that one. It's not how it works. It's just pure grace, unmerited favor, born out of love toward all those who believe in him. And when Christ finally died, it was finished. It was finished. All of our sins were paid for. If you trust in Christ today, your sins are paid for by the cross of Jesus Christ as he hung there broken and bleeding and breathed his last. It was finished. But the gospel doesn't stop there. I think often we stop short of telling the, the whole gospel. In fact, uh, as a side note, <laughs> I'm a little bit of a coffee snob. Any coffee snobs here? One or two of us. Excellent. Oh, look, there's, there's a bunch back there. I like. Can I hang out with you guys? Uh, I, I, look, I, make, I take like 10 minutes to make a cup of coffee, right? You, you push the button on your Keurig, right? I know, I know some of y'all. You got your Nespresso, you push the button, right? You use your little coffee pods. No, no, no. I put my beans in a hand mill. I grind them to my perfect specifications. I take my gooseneck kettle and I pour water painstakingly over the course of about four minutes over my coffee bed, just making sure that it's absolutely perfect. Now you know what I mean by coffee snob, right? Maybe geek is a better word, I don't know. <laughs> but look, one of the things that, uh, that I love about, uh, about coffee is, uh, is I get to make a, get a a collection of eclectic mugs for my uh, nice coffee to go into. And so uh, I, I have a few different mugs from different places that we've gone and that I just kind of liked the construction of. But I have one like relatively cheap mug uh, that, uh, that I just love. And it's not because it's, uh, it's necessarily all that special from like a time and place perspective, uh, but uh, it's because of what it has on it. And on one side it has uh, a, uh, a portrait of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he's a preacher. Um, and on the other side, it has a quote from him. Uh, and it says, essentially, uh, he says, it says that uh, my ent entire theology can be condensed into four words. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. I love that mug because it reminds me of the simplicity of the gospel. It reminds me of the simplicity of Christian life. Yes, there's lots of complex things that we have to interact with, but what a wonderful message. You can just sum up our entire theology in that. I love that quote. It just uncomplicates things. Like I said, it's just maybe we need to get back to some of the basics. We think too big and heady about certain things. We need to get back to the gospel. But that little quippy quotable doesn't tell the whole story, does it? Jesus died for me. 
I'm not criticizing Spurgeon for having said that. It's a wonderful quote, and I, I would use it myself if I was smart enough to come up with something like that. But it, the gospel doesn't stop there. Yes, Jesus died for me, but he was also raised for me. Verse 4 says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel doesn't stop at the cross. The gospel doesn't stop at the tomb. The gospel goes through the resurrection. Jesus died on what we call Good Friday. But Good Friday is only good if the resurrection comes on Sunday. Amen? Early Christians didn't shift from worshiping on Saturday, the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, back to Friday, Good Friday, right? They didn't move it backward. No, they moved it forward to Sunday. Why? Because that was the day on which their salvation was secured. The cross was good, but only in light of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we are not saved because we cannot be saved by a dead Christ. If we look further in this chapter, verse 17, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Last week, Pastor Brandon showed us how Christ exercised his offices of prophet, priest, and king as he cursed the fig tree and cleared out the temple in Mark 11. These are offices that Christ is often said to occupy for his people. But if Christ did not rise, then he was a false prophet. The punishment, by the way, for false prophecy, death. It was a capital offense. Deuteronomy 18 Verse 20 says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. If Jesus did not rise, then he went to the cross not for our sins, but for his own sin of false prophecy. John 10, 18, he prophesies. He says, No one takes it, his life, from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. If Jesus did not rise, then he was a false prophet, and we have no hope of heaven. If Jesus is still dead, then he cannot be our priest. First Timothy 2.5 says that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Priests mediate between God and man. Dead priests mediate for no one. Hebrews 7.23 says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. There is no Christianity without a resurrection. There is no good news without a resurrection. And finally, Jesus cannot be our king if he is still in the tomb. Revelation 19:16 says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. But dead men exercise no power or dominion. Dead kings don't have kingdoms. But Hebrews 12, 18 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. 
the resurrection Look, the resurrection is essential to the gospel. A dead Christ is a false prophet. A dead priest cannot mediate, and a dead king wields no power. But a risen Christ serves the, as the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king for his people, for not just now, but for all eternity. And he secures for us in his resurrected life every spiritual blessing in his ministry. The cross and the tomb are empty. Jesus Christ died a sinner's death, then rose from the grave, and thereby secured for us being part of his kingdom. And that comes with a great many benefits. This is what it means to be a Christian. If you're trying to resolve an identity crisis today, not knowing what you believe or who you are, if you are in Christ or not, you merely have to ask, do I trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ who died for my sins, was raised on the third day, and now is seated at the right hand of God making intersection for his people? The most important identity crisis you will ever have will be resolved by asking that question, do you trust in Jesus Christ? Look, this isn't a line I'm drawing. I'm not, I'm not making this line for you today. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. It's not my line, that's God's line. This is, look, the church, the gospel, it's not the subject matter of the next political or social movement. It's not moving all the time. I think so often we get caught up in saying, yeah, like I support this or I support that. But the gospel is unchanging. The gospel is unchanging. We need to recenter a little bit. If you're in Christ, then like I said, you have so many benefits. You have so much to be thankful for. Christ has secured for you every blessing in him. First and foremost, you get God. That's something that you couldn't have on your own. You couldn't get God. You couldn't have a right relationship with him except through Christ. But in Christ, you can have a right relationship with God. And he becomes your heavenly father. That means that he loves you and works all things for your good. It means that you can have a relationship with him through prayer and worship because he sees you through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It means that you can have joy in every circumstance. You can know that your labor is not in vain. It says this in, in verse 58 of this chapter. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing what? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If you are searching for meaning in your life today, if you're wondering why you are working so hard for all sorts of different things, if you're wondering why you put so many hours into setting up for an Easter service this morning, if you're wondering why you love your wife or your kids or your husband so much and why you put so much into that, if you're looking for meaning, then only in Christ can you say, I know for sure that my labor is not in vain. Without the resurrection, we are hopeless. 
Verse 19 of this chapter says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because what good does it do us if Jesus died for our sins and this is the only life we have to live? What if, if Jesus died on the cross just for now, then we should, as verse 32 of this chapter says, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Pursue every pleasure. Go for it. If Christ has not risen, you have no reason to live in light of the gospel. Just go do whatever you want. But if Christ is alive... And because he is alive, we have an eternal living hope that goes far, far beyond this life. Verses 51 through 53 of this same chapter says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means die. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. People have been chasing immortality since Adam first fell. You know, this is true. The biggest tech players of our entire world right now are trying to figure out how to get human beings to live even longer. They want to augment people with all sorts of different technology and things like that. But the answer has always been right here. If you are looking for eternal life, if you're looking for immortality, it is already here. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate the risen Christ. We do not have a dead Savior. And because our Savior lives, so will we. as you deal with the identity crisis of our present age, it is my true and honest prayer that you will find yourself to be firmly in Christ today. I hope that as I've spoken about this chapter and as I've tried to apply it to your hearts that the Holy Spirit is doing something in you this morning. And my, my sincerest and grandest hope is that even those of you I don't know that I see sitting here this morning, that all of us who are here today will see each other again in the life to come. Verse 55 of this chapter says, it's a song, it's amazing, it's, it says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through Christ our Lord. That is our hope. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.